0: gentlemen welcome to another episode of the startup soiree podcast this is your host Patrick Reif uh, joining you on a beautiful autumn morning Um, it's Monday here we're recording I'm super stoked about the weather I'm super stoked about the atmosphere here in Baltimore I hope all of you are too Um, I'm even more stoked to be uh, be welcoming Ton Lu from Inception Pad today. Many of you in the startup Soiree ecosystem will be familiar with Ton from having been our moderator uh, for the July Soiree, uh, as well as uh, a community member from the very, very beginning. Um, so excited to have him on the podcast. It's long overdue. Um, also, this is going to be the first time we're going to experiment with recording a podcast face-to-face, usually we record these over the phone using Skype. Um, I've wanted to kind of play with the model and make it a little bit more personal experience, so Tan is here this morning in the same room as I am uh, for this this conversation. So um, without further ado, Tan, welcome to the Startup Soiree podcast.
1: Thank you, Pat, and great to be here.
0: Um, so, just to jump it off, I know a ton about Inception Pad, but I don't know how much our users have a full idea of it. So, why don't you give us a little bit of background about, uh, about Tan, and how he turned into the man that he is, um, but also where, where Inception Pad came into the story.
1: Sure, of course. So, um, I've been uh, working for um, IBM for um, 12 years, uh, before I left IBM to uh, start Inception InceptionPad, um, and while I was at IBM, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I kind of shaped my career where the first half was uh, very technical. So I was a uh, you know technologies for IBM. I was working on cloud computing in you know 2000 2001. Um, so on advanced technologies about 10 years before you know uh, before the technologies actually get. Uh, get uh, prevalent use Um, so that was first half of my career technical the second half I purposely decided to do uh, more of the market development uh, sales and marketing side so I did that and then finally I said you know I feel like I'm ready and I left IBM I started inception pad Uh, the original business model for inception pad was not uh, what it is today Um, along the way what I've started figuring out was that there's a huge gap In terms of developing products uh, for the startup community, for the startup community, and myself was one of the first, uh, you know, companies where I felt this. Even though I was purely technical, I had a great technical team. I still couldn't develop the product that I wanted to. Um, You know, in the beginning, it took a lot of learning, a lot of trial and error. Um, So actually, that's why. Uh, I've kind of shifted the models a little bit um, for two reasons. One is I think I figured out how to develop products for, you know, the startup community. Uh, and secondly, because I have a very deep uh, talent pool that I can tap into in terms of the technical talent um, in both the, uh, the U.S. and in, uh, in, in China. So um, I've figured out that there is a model that is best um, for you know startup communities where the product has to be agile, it has to go to the market very quickly, and it has to be developed very cost effectively. Um, so those three combinations really require a unique combination of local face-to-face skills as well as remote uh, you know high caliber skills that uh, uh, can be uh, used at a discount. So so that's why I formed the Inception Pad really to um, bring. My pain point that I've solved to um, you know to uh, to help solve the similar pain points that I think of uh, you know the Baltimore area startups.
0: So um, give 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 me like a soundbite of really what Inception Pad does. You know like who your cl- right. who your focus is. Right, right.
1: So we develop mobile applications and uh, really highly interda- interactive web applications uh, for uh, you know the startup community. Um, and and I think where our focus is, where, where we're different is one, uh, we're really focused on this lean startup concept where you want to bring a uh, product to the market very very quickly. So most of our customers would say um, the biggest difference InceptionPad has uh, compared to other development firms is we don't not we don't tell people what to do as much as we tell people what not to do initially. We we try to really. Uh, limit the scope of that initial thing so you can be on the market very, very quickly and very cost-effectively. I think that's, um, from a design perspective, where we're we're unique and really tailored towards the startup community. Um, And and the second thing where we're different is we have a combination of uh, U.S. developers as well as China developers. Uh, Some of you who have experimented with outsourcing knows that it's hard to uh, communicate with the, the remote developers. Um, whereas we take care of that for you, we work with you as if we were a onshore, you know, uh, local development firm. But we also have some uh, teams um, in China that are actually our own that uh, we've grown organically, that work with us, that knows how to do agile development, um, and can essentially bring down the cost of your uh, overall project.
0: So really, it's about identifying and getting to the MVP ASAP. Correct. Right. Um, so in, in, your opening, you kind of mentioned wanting to, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> knowing kind of, uh, that you wanted to be an entrepreneur, um, but, uh, very, uh, specifically choosing to stack the deck in your favor with experience right. first, mm-hmm. uh, in the implementation side and then in the marketing and sales side, because what's the point in building something if you can't sell it? Right. Um, I'm curious if you could un- unpack a little bit, uh, where that desire for entrepreneurship comes that, per- that precedes your professional experience, that, that I always knew?
1: I, I don't know. I think it's something that uh, you're born with. It's kind of like, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a childhood dream, or, you know, I always knew I wanted to be, to create something of my own. I think it's, it's about creating something of your own uh, more so than anything else, the desire to, to uh, leave a mark. I think that's, that's really the genesis of it all.
0: So I know that, and correct me if I if I botch any of this stuff, so undergrad, Carnegie Mellon, right? Yeah. Business degree at Columbia. Yeah. And after that, did you go, was it to the Soviet Union after that?
1: No, I, so um, undergrad and uh, grad school for computer science at uh, Carnegie Mellon, mm-hmm. and then I worked as a technologist for IBM for a while. Where? And, uh, this was in New York okay. um, and uh, after, after a while um, IBM decided to send me to, their, to, to Columbia University's executive MBA program and then after that, uh, that program I started shifting from technology more towards product management and eventually in 2007 I was sent to work for two years in, uh, in uh, uh, Russia uh, to build uh, a sales team covering the entire Eastern Europe for their mainframe technologies, so that was my stint in Eastern Europe, and then uh, uh, and then I moved to uh, the, then I, the international assignment uh, went to uh, China. Um, I was in China for three years, and in China I was really uh, building the uh, what the what IBM called the growth market, which is all the countries outside of Western Europe and North America. So it was two hundred out of two hundred fifty six countries in the world that we were covering. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but it was still you know, um, one piece of the puzzle, you know, you're working on sales, you're just working on sales, it was one piece of the puzzle and also um, it was not, you know, it was still working for somebody else's mission, if you know what I mean. Uh, it's very different than, you know something of your own. So, so I think that's really why I felt like I was ready, you know, I was ready financially, I was ready, you know, with skills wise and, you know, all aspects So I, that's, that's, <clears throat> that's why I took the leap of faith.
0: So what happened after China?
1: I quit. I started, I, I started Inception Pad. Inception Pad itself um, was, um, you know, started developing a technology team in China. I started developing the sales and technology team in the U.S. Um, and originally um, the, the, The business model was for an entirely different product than than the current business model. But in uh, uh, 2013, I pivoted into the current business model where I figured out that, hey, my biggest strength, uh, competitive advantage is my deep uh, technical team. So I shifted towards more of the the service providing uh, model that I have now. And how did you get to Baltimore? Uh, I think a little bit of by a little bit by choice and a little bit by chance. Um, I've always so um, I've i you know even while I was in New York, I've always um, been up and down the East Coast. Um, so I've, I've worked with a bunch of people in DC area. Um, so um, so I always knew this is a good area. It's got a, got um, enough uh, finan- you know financial support uh, with the you know with the government being here. Uh, it's got uh, you know, a more and more vibrant uh, startup community um, and I think the biggest difference I see from the startup community here versus New York or, uh, or uh, Silicon Valley is that the startup community here are much more um, you know, personable, much more community oriented versus New York and, and uh, San Francisco are much more mercenary-like, much more transient. And I like that, you know, I like the, the atmosphere here better. So I think those are the factors that le- led me to decide to open up shop here, um, you know, as, uh, versus New York or San Francisco where I also had, um, you know, connections. Um, so I think that's the choice part. Um, the other part, chance part, was uh, my family. My You know, my wife teaches at a private school and, you know, we had a good offer from the McDonough School um, here, and we really like that school. So it worked out for the both of us. And so we're here for the, for the long term um, awesome. in the Baltimore area. Awesome.
0: Um, so I was hoping to have this conversation today, take a little bit of a lean towards um, your insight, because I think that you have a very proprietary point of view Um, and I think that your depth of technical knowledge is greater than any other guests that we've had on the podcast so far. So I would be a fool to not try and take advantage of it, but I am not a, uh, I am not a well vetted, uh, I'm I'm nowhere near as seasoned as you are in terms of that. So I'm going to try and kick it off and I'm hoping that you're at least a little bit aware of this, of this topic. So that way it'll make sense. But I, um, I would love for you to, to take it deeper where you see it applicable. But I was reading over the weekend and I don't, um, one, I have a subscription to Fast Company, but I don't read it anymore, one, because I don't really need it anymore, um, and two, because I just don't have time to read uh, that kind of stuff anymore. But I it caught my eye because it had Travis from Uber on the cover, yep. and I'm interested in that dude, and I'm interested in him as an operator. And I'm interested in all of the like hate that flies his way. Um, because I understand how hate flies sometimes, but I also know that, um, he's really, uh, he's, he's revolutionized an industry. And I think that that's something that I'm really interested in. And that article was really great, but, uh, flipping through it. When I went to the, like this article continued on, I went to the wrong page and I ran into another continued article, which was on Slack. Um, so then I was like, oh, I've been meaning to read about this from a point of view as it's been recommended to me to manage our teams on. So then I went back and kind of read the whole Slack uh, article, which was incredible. And then I started to understand their value prop a little more and what they're really hoping to do and what their goal is, is to, is to upset the right. Microsoft you know, the, the grid that every, that all data for all massive companies in the world, you know, I think that there was a statistic in the article that says, is either one in three or one in five, every person on the planet uses office or something like that. Uh Um, So I wanted to ask you about if you're familiar with Slack and that story and, and what you think of it as someone who has... Been steeped as a technologist, but then someone who's also been steeped in marketing and thinks about systems and as they apply and disruption and that kind of whole thing. I feel like you're you're maybe the most qualified voice to tell me what you think about that.
1: So, so I think I think it's good to have an end game, a overall vision to say I want to you know conquer, you know. Everything, um, so I think it's good, and I also think they properly identified that the biggest, uh, the biggest value I think the internet still have left that's untapped and unmined is actually data, um, the data that we generate, right? So that's actually why I think Google is not going anywhere. It's going to continue to be one of the leading, growing technology companies, you know, because they have huge amounts of data and they know how to, you know. Take that data and bring value to you, right? Um, things that you know certainly there's privacy concerns and things like that, but I mean just little things that you you, you might not notice that starts to you know come up. Like for example, um, <clears throat> I get an email confirmation from my airlines now to my Gmail, and all of a sudden that you know airline confirmation pops up on my uh, on my calendar. You know that's a very simple example of you know this type of data mining, data integration, using that data to you know across multiple channels of consumption. Um, so I think that is that is going to be the biggest focus area uh, of any uh, business going forward. Um, you know we talked about Pixelated uh, being a provider of customer intelligence instead of just you know uh, you know photo booth company. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know things like that. Um, I think are. Uh, it's gonna take a special uh, revolutionary thinking uh, or certainly extension from the traditional thinking to um, to get right. So so I think for, from that perspective, I fully agree with what Slack wants to do. Uh, now any experienced entrepreneur will tell you if you try to build towards the end game, um, you're not gonna get there. Um, you know, you, you need to, incrementally bring value to the customers so that you can you know you have the right burn rate in in terms of your uh, uh, you know uh, team and things like that Um, so whether Slack ends up being what they describe in the end uh, or not it remains to be seen there are different competitors there are other ways to get to the same you know community you know Trello for example is a different use it's got a different uh, but you know eventually everybody can world towards that what can I do with the, the data sure. more value. Um, so I think I think that's 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 really one of the key things about you know what what we've observed as uh, as well is that um, in order to help entrepreneurs build their product, you really gotta be able to keep in mind of what the end game is as well as what's the intermediary steps. And to define those intermediate steps, starting with the MVP, but also continuing on phase after phase, uh, requires not only technology, uh, but also business thinking as well. Um, That's why we feel like the design process that we have and the persons that you bring into the design process uh, needs to have both the technology uh, as as well as the business uh, side uh, uh, side of the equation. Um, to to really design a product well, um, and that's what we've been trying to do And I think that's also a, a gap that a lot of uh, you know uh, Development shops that uh, focus on you know fortune 500 companies um, Don't have because you know, it's not about just getting a requirement getting the best UX best UI But also talking it's, it's about working with the customers to Decide what is the
0: requirement for that first MVP? So to my eye how does Microsoft not buy Slack, even though Slack doesn't seem to be interested in selling, um, you know, when you, when I, I figure you, 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 let the fishing line out for a little while you see which one's performing, <coughs> best. you recognize that someone's going to innovate the space better than you because they're nimble and yeah. you're not because you're Microsoft. Um, so to my eye, that's like the end goal is that Slack ends up being an acquisition and then they just end up having this great new front end, but and obviously where the, where the rubber hits the road, that makes a ton of sense as well, because then you take the depth of, of Microsoft's data and then you put it in conjunction with this new kind of piece of technology, and all of a sudden it can ascend much more quickly, which leads me to my next leading question for you, which is, um, you know very well, and a lot of the listeners to our podcast know that I um, am, am a very progressive, marketer and I'm always watching new spaces. I'm very interested in the new peer to peer space. Um, Very stoked on Periscope. I'm very excited about Snapchat. I really like those places a lot. Um, As of now, Snapchat is still free and clear to do what it wants to do, but that's only going to be a period of time. Um, Most of the speculation that you'll read out in the press has Snapchat being acquired by Facebook uh, in the next 12 months. which I think is probably pretty obvious that Facebook is gonna be the big contender um, to acquire Snapchat. And I think that most people realize that as well, but I don't think what people realize, and this is something that I wasn't aware of until I had done a little more reading recently, but what happens, uh, the the depth of the play there exists when Snapchat is acquired and all of their data can be placed against Facebook's graph which is, you know, maybe one of the most complete data sets that exists, probably in 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 forever, ever, ever. Except Snapchat has this very proprietary point of view and relationship with its yeah. users that's much different than Facebook's is, um, and it's the ownership of it is I think much greater, but it's also more fleeting at the same time. And I'm I'm curious, so I can only imagine what happens when Snapchat's data set. Gets put against Facebook's graph. I mean, we saw what happened when um, Meerkat was removed from having access to Facebook's graph. You know, right. Right? they basically went from being a potential major game player to being committed to being a niche player. Right. Um, and I still think they'll be successful, but clearly, Facebook's graph has a tremendous, you know, a times ten, a times twenty kind of elevation. I'm curious what you think about that that space between. Um, you know w- what the potential is there when, when, when companies are looking at intermingling their, their, their intel?
1: Well, I personally, I personally think probably the primary reason for Facebook to acquire Snapchat is because Snapchat is more successful at the younger demographics. Um, so to me, I think it's more uh, that acquisition you know, makes sense just purely on the business side alone. So never mind whether the graphics or whatever or how much data mining they they can do by combining the two sources. Just in terms of business, it makes sense for Facebook to acquire that that demographics. Um, So I think that's probably the primary thing that goes into that evaluation um, in terms of of acquisition. Um, But but I think in terms of the actual technology, um, you're right. Um, There are two different um, um, relationship uh, maps, if you will. Um, the uh, I I view Facebook's technology map as almost like a superset, um, right? It's got you know you have Facebook connections with people that you probably met you know you haven't seen in ten years, right? Um, so it's, it, it you know it contains you know all of the lines, but it doesn't know it doesn't necessarily um, it can it can determine the strength of those relationships to a certain point. Right, but it doesn't do it to the same extent that Snapchat does. Right, um, it's it's who did I talk to the last you know uh, day you know or hour uh, essentially. Right, so so I think from a technology perspective, there's gonna be there are cool things that you can do by combining those uh, you know those two um, those two relationships, especially for you know uh, people that want to do social marketing uh, you know sales etc. How uh, you know what cool ways or what cool information can be produced and digested? Um, I think that's gonna there's gonna be some innovation there. I, I just I you know I I, I don't know uh, what those might be, but I, I I certainly see that there could be some cool things um, things coming. Um, but I think the broader uh, implication of what you just talked about is not just about Facebook but about you know acquiring Snapchat potentially or Microsoft. Or to acquiring Slack, or you know, way back when when you know Google acquired Was, or you know, it's it's about where social is going, right? So I think um, there's not going to be another Facebook in terms of this high you know everybody connected to everybody type of uh, type of thing. I think social is going more and more vertical uh, in terms of you know we you call it niche, but with five billion people on the planet you know, a niche of 1% is still a very good market, a very good, you know, uh, subset. So I think I see social going more and more vertical, more and more specialized um, to, you know, the different communities that don't want to get distracted by all of their 500 friends, you know, on Facebook, but maybe like very niche markets say, hey, who are my drinking buddies for (laughs) next week, right? Um, More local, more vertical. I think there's still a lot of opportunity for startups in, in that space, um, you know, in terms of vertical uh, social integration,
0: um, that's awesome. I also think that one of the things that's a, that's an interesting play, <coughs> um, particularly for for Snapchat. Two things that are are really fascinating there. One, Snapchat can choose to engage the streaming space and win them win, win the race immediately because their base (coughs) is by far larger than anyone else's bases. Um, and their, and the user experience is already kind of set up to do that. Um, but I really find the, the, the geo targeting and this ability to serve, you know, with, with like the you know, with the overlays that get, that get fed into Snapchat. I think that there's something there that is going to allow for beta testing of concepts with people without them realizing that they're, that they're participating in this kind of, you know, like whether it's, you know, like I woke up this morning and I was going across 25th street to take my son to daycare and it was like a beautiful blue sky and I took a picture of it. And, uh, and I like swiped to, like, put my Baltimore overlay on it, and it was, uh, is it Rosh Hashanah uh, today? Does Rosh, yeah. Rosh Hashanah begin yeah. today? There's like, a Rosh Hashanah overlay there. And I thought, like um, one, I'm not Jewish, so I'm not going to use this. And there are definitely some overlays that don't pertain to me that I'll use in a funny way, but I wouldn't use a Rosh Hashanah overlay in a right. funny way because I, don't, I wouldn't choose to make fun of somebody in that, in that light. But I think that it's also very interesting in terms of like being able to see what percentage in what area is participating in an overlay and, and that it will get much deeper than an Orioles game or a Federal Hill or a Rosh Hashanah or a, or, you know, I didn't, I didn't touch the 9-11 overlay when it was there. Not that I'm not American, not that I'm not, you know, never going to forget, but I just, it's not part of my... Uh, it's not part of something that I would do. I don't. I don't wear my uh, patriotism in that way necessarily. Um, and I think that there's something interesting there as well. And I think that what Snapchat has is the potential to try things out in a different way. And I know that you, I know we've talked about Snapchat overlays before and kind of like what their potential is. I'm curious if you have any, you know, any point of view to that end in terms of like. What what kind of what kind of information they can be drawing back by integrating with that user experience, but literally being able to change it day to day, yeah. neighborhood to neighborhood, idea to idea.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think that's definitely true, and I think that's another trend of applications is to uh, you know go into you know individualization, you know customization, and also trying to figure out. Uh, you know, a big thing is what is each person's, uh, you know, online identity, right? What is your identity going forward? And there could be many sources of information to figure out what that identity is from your Facebook profile to your, uh, to your Snapchat, to, you know, your LinkedIn, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But so, so there's, I think there's going to be a set of And there already are companies trying to figure out what each person's you know uh, online identities are and trying to provide those as a a service and i think that's going to take you know internet to you know social internet to the next you know uh, step you know things more become more and more where you open it up and it's the information you want right in front of you and that's that's true actually that's you know even in our designs uh, we have a process called purpose-driven design you know our one of our primary principle is what is the minimum path you can you know a customer has to take to get to the potential information that that they want right if i was searching for uh for you know if the app was designed to find me photographers let me not ask you to enter the search you know re- requirements let me just throw the photographers near you that i think you want first right so chances are you know if 50% of people or 80% of people find a photographer that they need that's a much better user experience than having to sit there and even for 10 seconds to enter what your you know requirements are and get to the to the to the next thing, so I think more and more and more apps are gonna become more intelligent to try to you know figure out what is the thing that you want and then serve it directly to you before you even tell it um, you know or remember your last choices and serve it next time you open up the um, the application. So I think that's gonna be uh, you know one of the biggest things about product designs you know. Entrepreneurship. How, how do we how do we make this thing the most you know useful uh, and most easiest to use uh, possible? Um, so I, I think that's that's definitely.
0: So uh, search will begin based off of integrating the users' yeah, preferences yeah. already. So instead well, yeah, of starting from a, a blank Google bar, you're going to start from Tom Lu's Google bar, that's which just, is going to have a lot of your that's right. preferences. It's, it's kind of like
1: what you talked about from uh, you know from. Uh, Uh, you know from the snapchat filters you know so the end game (laughs) is to have the filter that you want you're already applied by the the time you open up uh you know you take a picture and it's automatically there right so that's 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 the end game that's why i think you ask the question okay how can we take figure out what filters what this person want what it is that uh you know you know using filters as an example how do we understand what this person is what his or her desire is Right, so I think I think that's that's definitely the, the, the end game is how do you take multiple sources of data, starting with your own, to try to make it so that your um, you know customers can get what they want as quickly as possible. Um, so so I think that's so that's number one. Is what do you use it for, right? The number two thing you talked about is how do we get that information, right? And I think that I already talked about is multi channels of information that you have to uh, integrate. Um, and it's also about cognitive uh, you know processing so um, there's actually technologies out there that would have you for example read a paragraph and i can tell your personality and i can tell your stress level right so so it's those type of things that will increasingly become uh, become important and so this area actually areas that we're trying to get more and more um, you know skilled up in terms of of cognitive processing of apps and then also uh, real-time data mining Um, so those are are really big, uh, big areas, I think coming going go forward.
0: Awesome. Um, so we're just about to our wrap point, <clears throat> but before we go, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, the design space. So, uh, anyone that has been at soirees from July on, uh, are aware that we have started to, uh, host design sprints at pixelated. Um, but for inception pad, and the whole idea is, um, if you, if you've got a concept, you've got some kind of technology that you think you'd like to have built that you've designed this, this program for vetting vetting those ideas. And then if on the other side of those ideas, uh, they hold water, then it's kind of taking the next step. But that is the very simplified version. So, before we wrap up, why don't you let the listeners know? Um, because this could be a, a you know potentially uh, you know we could expose this idea to a, a far greater set right. of people here. And if there's one thing we would love is more people to come do the design sprint so we right. can build more cool stuff. So um, why don't you give give the elevator pitch of what the design sprint is, and then um, and then maybe tell people how how to sign up for it or how to how to you know perfect get in touch. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so first of all, uh, the design sprints are free to Startup Story members. Um, it is a service that we've developed in conjunction with Startup Story um, to to really bring some of those lessons learned, as I've talked about, um, you know, over, you know, with my own company and also with the you know two companies that we've worked with. Um, you know, uh, bring that experience to, to bear for our Startup Sorority members who want to develop something new. Right? So, so it's free and uh, um, actually you can, can contact Startup Sorority to set up those design sessions. We offer uh, those design sessions twice a month, each one has three slots. Um, so, um, so I think that the next one's already full. Uh, uh, but I think we might still have one slot open for the, the, the September the, the, the last one in September. Um, But certainly, you know, we we, would welcome you know more people because we always love talking about cool ideas. Um, So in terms of what the uh, sprint provides, um, you know, we've done a number of these already, and we've actually found that there's three different requirements that the people you know have come to the sprint have um, uh, been able to get out of the sprint. Um, One is there's a a group of people who have an idea. but they need to get focused and identify what is the MVP that they can get started with, right? So they know roughly what it is that they want to do, they know the customer pain points, but how do you define what are the, you know, per, the requirements for your MVP? So, so that's one group of people that we've been able to help over an hour session, just identify who the you know, top customer group is, and what is the primary purpose that your uh, application you want to develop can provide those, uh, those groups and then develop to say, okay, here's you know, what an MVP might be or here's at least a way for you to validate some of those concepts and, and to figure out what your MVP is, right? So that's the first level of people just starting with this idea, you know, make it more concrete. Um, the second group of people is the next level down, which is you know, I already have a pretty good idea of what it is that I want to build, right? Uh, I know what my customer, uh, what I, what I want to provide to my customer. So the next uh, group is actually getting more detail. So um, we're actually going to talk about um, what is all of the functions that each of your customer needs. Prioritize some of those functions, um, and then from that develop a mind map to show here's the the basic flows and here's where um, you know, again, what is the phase one, the MEP functions that could potentially roll out. Um, and from that actually, um, you can you can kind of start to get a ballpark uh, understanding of the time and resources it takes to develop something like that. Um, so that's the second layer. Um, and we've had customers that went through an hour and, you know, come up with, uh, with that. Um, the third layer is actually even more detailed, is actually technology consulting. Um, so what we've actually observed that Um, There's a lot of companies here, um, you know, startups, because, you know, whether it's because they're not technical uh, uh, enough or what it is, um, they've built prototypes that may not scale, right? Um, So, for example, uh, if you want to build a really, um, you know, something that you can do uh, data analytics against, real-time data analytics against, right? One of the biggest, uh, so one of the things is you don't want to use a technology called Parse um, in the back end, right? Um, that's more for prototyping. It can get you an app out very, very quickly, uh, but it has limitations in terms of the data, uh, how it uh, handles data. It only returns a 1,000 queries at a time, for example. There's performance considerations. So that's an example of a technology consulting to say, well, if this is what I want to build, what is the right technology stack that I want to start with so that I can extend, uh, you know, later on and out of my team, you know, I have over, you know, 12 years of experience, Uh, my partner has over 20 years of experience. So we're able to help people identify and say, okay, here's what I have already. Here's where I need to plan for, you know, migrating off of Going forward, and if I haven't started, here's the right technology to consider, so that I have to, uh, so I won't incur a ton of technology debt, you know, going forward, um, that I have to rewrite. So I think those are the three distinct flavors of people that have come to the uh, to the sprints, and the way that we've been
0: able to uh, that we've been able to help. Awesome. So um, from a from a first person perspective, I would love to just vet. Uh, what the design sprint was. So Nick and I went through the design sprint about, I guess it's probably been about eight weeks ago now, um, as he and I are getting ready to build um, a photo booth software platform. And uh, it's an idea that we had refined in our minds for about a year. So we definitely had a lot of the, uh, a lot of the the meat and potatoes of what we thought it would have value with. And I don't think that we were super far off but I do know that in terms of helping us refine our vision and helping us recognize really where the, the strongest assets of our platform were um, is something that we really got to the bottom of. And it also helped us realize um, the, the pattern and and kind of like the stages through which we should build it and how it should come along. So I would encourage anyone, um, whether you think that you've, you've totally smashed your idea through and you have a development partner, um, that you should, you should take advantage of this because it may really just give you a different perspective on what you're trying to build. Uh, whether, whether Tawn ends up being the person to help you build it or not. I think that having a robust conversation about technology when you're trying to build it and getting the most seasoned and uh, as as many points of view is is just a wise move. Um, But also it was really fun and it really helped us recognize that what we were trying to build um, is cool and it it has a lot of traction and that it's not such a harebrained idea that some dudes that started a photo booth company are gonna try and build a software application. So um, I would encourage you to do that. If the design sprint sounds like something that you're interested in, as Ton mentioned, the best way uh, to go about booking one is for you to just send an email to info at startup soiree.com. Uh, I would use the subject line, I want to build an app, or hook me up with Ton Lou, or like any of that kind of stuff, and we will make sure to schedule that through. Um, before we wrap up, Ton, Thank you so much for spending a little time chatting with me, uh, recording this for the Swary community. I think that they're going to get a ton of insight out of this chat.
1: Thank you, Pat. And this has been really fun
0: and hopefully I'll see
1: many of you listening to this podcast, uh, soon while we start the Swary sessions.
0: All right guys. Um, um, man, that's it. I hope everybody's having fun. Uh, If you haven't yet, please subscribe to this podcast, whether in iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. We're in all of those places. Uh, As this podcast publishes, I am out in San Francisco hanging with my bro. If you want to get some sneak peeks of the fun I'm having out here, you can follow along um, either on my Snapchat or on my Periscope. That's Patrick Reif. You all know my name. I own all of my digital space out there. So follow me um, and shout at me and say, hey man, I love this podcast. If you got questions you want me to ask, that would be a great place to leverage them. Aside from that, I've been hinting and I've been hinting and I've been hinting and I'm not gonna tell you yet, but please stay tuned because there is a ton of exciting news that's getting ready to come out of the soiree platform um, so let's see this is going to be we're, we're probably in the third or fourth week of september now uh, i would say that you're going to hear some of that news hit around the second week of october so don't turn us off yet um, all right baltimore world universe everybody keep pushing hard i'll see all of you soon